0: to Front Room Theology Podcast. I'm Jen Binford and I'm here with Tyler Bennett and Josh Kramer and we're just practicing hospitality and dialogue once again and it's great to be with you. Today in our episode four we'll be taking a journey back to our moral heritage. Tyler you want to tell us why we're doing (laughs)
1: this? (laughs) Yeah so because we're going to take some lessons from the past and Also, it's kind of just see how we even got to where we are today, because um, I was just saying that whether you like it or not, um, like these sort of some of these ancient nerdy figures from the past, like heavily influence society today, whether we realize it or not. So um, it's really important to look at that. And uh, something McIntyre really emphasizes is like putting ideas in their historical context. So part of it is doing that. So, but yeah, so ultimately, though, it's to understand our world today and how we got here. So and I have a couple, I have a couple quotes from McIntyre that he sums it up like really well. So this one coming from After Virtue, he says, the roots of some of the problems which now engage the specialized attention of academic philosophers and the roots of some of the problems central to our everyday social and practical lives are one and the same. So basically, the really weird stuff that these dead people are now dead people were talking about hundreds, even thousands of years ago, um, are the exact same things that we're trying to practically live out today. Um, and I think that's really significant. Uh, it's a very significant claim, and I think it's a good, it's a true claim. So, so that's that's first reason. Um, yeah. Any? You guys have anything? about that thoughts about that josh jen
0: well one of the things i've heard you say actually is that when you were talking about why it matters today and how it applies today is that we have adopted many of these ideas of these great thinkers of the past and many of us don't even realize it and mm. that they have so heavily influenced our thinking patterns and how we go about living out morality and ethics today
2: Mhm. yeah yeah they I mean it just is true that ideas filter out and kind of permeate society and if we don't pay attention to where they're coming from then we just adopt these ideas so yeah telling the stories of ideas and the histories of them is really significant yeah yeah and I like the way Jen used the language we're talking about our moral heritage I like the way um, and that was Tyler's title but I like that language like this is us this is the moral air that we're breathing um, but if we, if we don't know why we've inherited these ideas then they're just coming at us and we don't
0: well and then it matters to us as believers too and how we're living out our faith and to acknowledge that we've been conditioned by yeah. thinkers of the past and the history our history and the story but also the thinkers of today and where these thoughts are coming from and how we're living now. Are these actually in line with Jesus mentality and kingdom values, or is this in line more with the conditioning of humanity? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think, yeah, we'll definitely get to that because that'll, that'll come up. So I guess Especially there's a lot the of church.
0: reasons why. That's what I hear yeah, there saying. are. <laughs> in fact,
1: another one, um, and I never really realized, thought about this until I read *After Virtue*. But um, something McIntyre claims is not only like we have this heritage of morals, but there's this fragmentation of different morals. Like all like our moral discussion is just this mm-hmm. um, series. So he said he, in his words, um, it's a series of fragmented survivals from an older past, and like so we can't, we really can't come to common ground. On moral moral ideas because there's all these different fragments of um, moral ideas out there that are either contrary or um and whatnot and like we just kind of but we're all influenced by all of them together i think some of us just kind of grasp one fragment more than the other and rather seeing them like as a as a piece rather seeing it as a piece of a like of like something we take it as the whole like this is the way it is and what they have is not real it's not mm-hmm. the truth mm-hmm like this is the right right like this is the perfect rock but that rock is not so
2: it's that old story of the elephant have you, you heard that oh one? yeah like, like everybody's the, blind and, and touching, touching one the, part of the elephant yeah oh it's a rope you got the tail or it's mm-hmm. a tree if you've got the trunk or the leg or, yeah no it's a stone if you're touching the middle but if you could see the whole thing yeah
1: exactly and like i do want to <laughs> i would love to really emphasize that um, I don't think there's any one moral view that's right. I think they're all, they all have elements of like that seem that are probably true. And then elements mm-hmm. that are off, especially when you put them in their context. And we'll get to that. I think, especially when we look at the, cause in that last episode we were talking about views and I was, I, I know I was pretty hard on like deontology, but like really, um, really nice about virtue ethics. Yeah um part of it's because like i'm learning more about virtue ethics now and like it's new um but like it's not perfect either i think you have to incorporate everything like um there's character building consequences of the actions intent of the actions and so um yeah i think if we can like bring these fragments together and like find out what fits and what doesn't you know that's the idea of deconstruction just shatter everything and we're gonna talk about them like basically the master of deconstruction later, um, that kind of destroyed everything for us to pick and now we're trying to pick up the pieces, but we don't know what we're we don't know that we're picking up pieces sometimes, just like a whole. I feel like Nietzsche,
2: like when we hint at Nietzsche or, or talk about him, he needs his own like theme music.
1: Like Yeah. <laughs> dun dun dun. Like <laughs> Maybe I'll there put needs. that in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just put that in the editing, we'll see. So <coughs> Um, but yeah, and then and we'll see kind of how things have developed like from the past into um, and what McIntyre calls like uh, the ghost, like our idea of moral law is the ghost of divine law. So like God's mm-hmm. commanding things to happen. And now we have that some people have this idea of like, well, there's just this, this way we're supposed to act. Like we intuitively mm-hmm. kind of think about it. And, um, so yeah, um, I think that that's a big reason why.
2: I was just in a conversation last night um, with a guy who recommended to me the book Good Without God. So just what you were just saying reminded mm-hmm. me of this. Like, <clears throat> um, Again, we haven't even started talking about Nietzsche. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yet. Um, but uh, this guy was making that argument that we don't need God to be morally good. There are reasons um, that we can be good without God. Nietzsche would make the exact opposite argument I think like who needs to be good like if God is really dead which is his argument and everybody lives as though God is dead um, then who needs to be good like just exert your will to power and like that's what goodness is Mm -hmm. to him anyway yeah
0: well even in saying that though that sounds like a definition of goodness that power equals yeah in, good, in right? one sense sure right yeah. and that there's a longing for something <laughs> at the root of it all right so let's head back into time Tyler tell us a little bit about what we ought to know about this Aristotle guy
1: yeah um and just to preface that we so we're looking at three key figures um and I'm just gonna make it very clear that these are not this is not exhaustive like this next half hour <laughs> is half hour to 40 minutes is not an exhaustive look at these three. That's all you ever need to yeah. know. You, so you can, you can spend a lifetime just looking at the ethical theories or thoughts of any one of these people, let alone like their whole corpus or all three of them. And I mean, they're, these are big people, especially the second one. Um, So know that like, I'm not an expert. I'm learning as I go as well. And um, there's a lot to these people, these these think, old thinkers. So, but there are two two elements to draw out from that. Um, one, the idea of human nature, and two, yeah, this concept of like moral law or divine moral law or something like so, um, because Mac, those are the two things McIntyre really focuses on in his discussion. Um, so, so I'm gonna try and hopefully do a good job of just drawing out those two ideas from these thinkers and kind of how we've. Um, adopted those over time so all right so yeah aristotle um most people have probably heard of aristotle i'd assume um he's very prominent greek philosopher in the what was it fourth century bce yeah bce um and he was the student of plato who i know a lot of people are also familiar with um uh, but anyways so for He's basically like the virtue ethics that we talked about last episode are give, have their origins in this person, Aristotle, at least in a sense, in like a philosophical concept, um, or systematic way, uh, Aristotle is where we get the origins of like virtue ethics. And so, and what's really interesting, a lot of times, so in today's world, we ask a lot of questions about like what actions are good or bad or wrong or right. Um, we like focus on like yeah what like the action itself. The question Aristotle is asking is different. He's asking what is the good life. So he's trying to see like what makes a human good, not so much like what actions does a human need to do that are good. What good actions should a human do? Like should or but like what makes a human good? Like he's almost like taking the whole being. Um, a couple of examples he uses is like if creating a good sculpture makes a sculptor a good sculptor so what like now how do we apply that to like all of human like human being or like an eye seeing badly if an eye can't your eye doesn't see very well you would call that a bad eye because it's not like it's not doing its job or functioning and like at a functional level well and so again like what if we change that question to so what makes a bad human um, very and there's a lot of function functional sort of thought for Aristotle in this. Um
2: and like so it sounds to me like if you fulfill your purpose well, then you're good at being the thing. Mm-hmm. So a good a a good eye is one that fulfills the purpose for which an yeah. eye is made. A good sculptor is a person who um fulfills the purpose for which sculpting exists yeah so a good human would be one that fulfills the purpose yeah um, for which a human
1: exists yeah and like (laughs) and that's for and for Aristotle a lot of um, ethics is a question of human nature like what is human nature is it um, are we just as we are or is there like an essential nature or like a nature where we ought that we're like destined to be for you could say or that we ought to be um, like um, I think I might have said this in the earlier episode but like you could see Aristotle as like there's two things like there's human as it is and then human as it it could be if it realized it's essential nature or it's true nature mm-hmm. and like we want, like ethics is the act of moving towards that latter one that, uh, that true nature that true human nature away from where we're at now because I think most of us see the human nature now and we're like mm, it seems pretty messed up but, um, in our, you know, 21st century, we would say that, Western society. So for him, yeah, it's moving to that point. So it's a big question about human nature. Um, and a, one of the words that comes up a lot is eudaimonia, which is the Greek word, usually just meaning like good or like, yeah. Um, happiness or sorry, not good. Uh, it means like happiness or flourishing. You can translate it to either word. And so he sees that attaining that eudaimonia that happiness or flourishing as like true human nature um and we can argue we can argue or talk about what that is but that's kind of how he sees like that's the goal um and one of the quotes from aristotle is uh what is it oh so he says like the end of science of medicine is health that of art or that of the art of shipbuilding a vessel that of strategy victory that of domestic economy wealth so like you know you have these ideas and there's like a particular purpose and goal like what they're trying to achieve um humans are no different and Mm -hmm. for him that's uh happiness or flourishing um that's like the essential human nature is to flourish Mm -hmm. um pretty broad but it's getting somewhere yeah for him um well for aerosol particularly it's rationality yeah like for, Mm -hmm. for him it's um the essential nature of humans is to like exercise a contemplative rational life um, so and then also for Aristotle given his time period like flourishing meat because remember he's Athenian and if you know anything about Ath- ancient Athenians in Greece they're very patriarchal like <laughs> so probably being a man record it gives makes you flourish and being yeah so
2: yeah being a man and you you mentioned a rationally contemplative life that, mm-hmm. like, a whole bunch of people aren't going to be able to yeah. live that kind of life. Yeah, like if you're, a, you know, have a job, <laughs> it's going to be real difficult if you don't own a bunch of land and aren't.
1: Yeah, wealthy, if you're just a farmer or you're yeah. a soldier, you, yeah. Well, that
0: makes me think of the context that it matters in this conversation because over time, depending on whatever your context is, the Mm -hmm. definition of what good and happiness is shifts. Yeah, And it's contextually defined culturally and often these are like unwritten codes of what is good.
1: Yeah, and for Aristotle like eudaimonia is very narrow. Very narrow. Um, Especially given his context and the world they live in and being athenian yeah so so like there's major critique that we could make of Aristotle. oh yeah absolutely
2: and we wouldn't just want to adopt his ethic just take it and go this is what we should how we should live yeah
1: yeah like we don't it's not necessarily like oh yeah we need to go all the way back to the aristotle and be just like that it's like no because like we have our own context and um our own experiences where like and even just like in the church, like the idea of the image of God is in everyone. So shouldn't flourishing be for everyone? So how do we attain? You know, that'd be the next question. Like, okay, the essential human nature is, you know, flourishing. Okay. Uh, what does that mean for everybody? Yeah. Or is it meant to be that for everybody? Or are some people just destined or, or like not to have that? Or like, you know, there's a lot of, there's a, it brings up a lot of good questions. But what I really appreciate about Aristotle is his approach. Um, very much focused on like who you're becoming as a person, not just like what actions are you doing? Yeah. Um, Rather those actions really like matter in developing good people, not just simply like, yeah, not just simply doing the good action. Cause I think, I think we can all attest to the fact that there's people that do good actions all the time, but they're not good people. Yeah. Like we don't like, I don't know, like, someone that what is it someone that uh finds like gives to charity but they're just like oh I don't have the tax benefits I don't really care about like giving to a charity is a good thing but they're not becoming a better person by doing it yeah I don't know like it just the flexibility of this Aristotle's thinking is really great to me yeah like it's not so rigid yeah Um, and thinking through like we have a purpose
2: um and living out that purpose we should be heading the direction so that we become the kind of people that live yeah. out our purpose. Yeah.
0: And that ought to be our measure of success. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Rather than all the other things we've been conditioned. Well, and like you were saying, that there's critiques of all of these guys and also some good qualities of their mm-hmm. thinking patterns and also just pondering and reflecting on where, like we were saying, where is it coming from, my own thinking patterns and how I'm living out whatever and are they in line with biblical principles that are underlying and what is this of this guy I mean of course focusing on the approach of who are we becoming as a person is definitely a kingdom yeah. value is who mm-hmm. who am I becoming as I am with Jesus and encounter Jesus and am I being transformed like this is a mm. a healthy question yeah. to be asking as a follower of Christ who am I becoming um, over time?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it still emphasizes the importance of actions, not just simply like, um, like self-fulfillment or anything, but like the actions are making you like, are you being honest and becoming an honest person or are you a dishonest person? Who's just being honest this few times or one time. And, mm-hmm. and I think for Aristotle, there are the idea, there's this idea of virtues. Like there's the, are these actions that always seem to create, a better person when you like it like it really emphasizes the idea of rhythm it's like if you continue to be just speak the tr- like be honest in your speaking you'll just become an honest person like that'll just become ingrained in your very being like you don't have to think about it um mm-hmm. it, so you want to think about like oh is this right or wrong but it's like that's just what will ingrain in you and it and honestly this i this this virtue ethics not only you could use as a moral theory but it's kind of a good observation of like human um experience that like mm. the more we do something or regularly do something we become like that mm. so like i mean if i keep if i'm always um t- speaking like trying to be honest or if i'm always being dishonest i'm just going to become a dishonest person in more ways than just like in that particular instance and such or a brave person without even think a person that's just like shows courage or tries to do be brave and develop this brave um, personality through brave actions like Without even thinking, when the moment comes, they're just gonna yeah. act in a brave way. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, you know, I could just like think like, oh, bravery is good. Like, I should do bravery when it calls for it. Be brave and stuff. And then the moment comes, but like, I haven't practiced bravery. Yeah. Now, like, oh, am I gonna do it just because I think it's good? Yeah. And it's the right action. Well, I don't know. I think a lot of people don't. <laughs>
2: Almost never. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> if we're practicing cowardice. Yeah. But then when so we encourage. Yeah, we so it does it. I really like how it kind of it, it shows like this just idea of um rhythms and practice how it yeah. shapes us. I think yeah. so I think Aristotle not only like is has this like theory that is asking a different question but he's also like observing maybe he's not observing but I can see like how human society plays out that way. Like we are shaped by our rituals and our actions or our um you know every regular things we do. Not just like our actions aren't just shaped by our thoughts, but our thoughts can be shaped by our actions as well. Yeah.
0: Right. And those rhythms and the concept of being a disciple of Christ, those influence who we are becoming. And also thinking about who we surround ourselves. Like the people that we surround ourselves by define what goodness is. And Mm -hmm. you become like the people you are around. And as a Jesus follower, that ought to be like, more like Jesus, and are we drawing one another towards, towards that goodness as he defines Mm -hmm. it as, Mm -hmm. and like you said, it, it, is this outpouring, and I've noticed even just hanging out with you guys, just, I started saying blessings to people, (laughs) I don't talk like that, where does that come from, that comes from your influence in my life, that I spend time with you, and then I become, we become Mm. like people that we surround ourselves Mm. by, Um, and that goodness really is contagious and again it's based on um the conditioning that
2: we choose to participate in totally well blessings as you said (laughs) yeah
0: blessings
2: (laughs) i was um it reminds me of well there's this lyric of this nickel creek song the song is called when in rome but the idea is if you're learning to live in rome you're going to take on the attitudes and characteristics of rome Mm -hmm. and um there's a line in the song that says where does a, uh, where does a dead man go um, oh, now I've forgotten the line but um, the idea is what ha- when you die are you ever going to really feel at home if you've le- spent a lifetime learning how to live in Rome the idea being are we preparing ourselves to live in the kingdom of God or are we preparing ourselves to live here like, are we getting ready for the kingdom now in the actions that we're living in, the ways that we're, the, the habits that we're practicing? Or are we settling in to Babylon and going, this is just the way things are and I don't have to prepare for anything. Like the
0: holding yeah. space? For yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we just settle in to the holding space, like, yep. are we, are we um, going to enjoy the kingdom when it yeah. comes in fullness well we won't be prepared for it
1: yeah and just a final note too that i find interesting is that historically and traditionally christianity is a virtue ethic um so i think that's why it's really easy to jive with aristotle's thinking here especially if that's coming from a church context like because yeah like we're preparing trying to be because that's the way the whole idea is like we're trying to prepare and become ready to live the kingdom life yeah yeah so yeah yeah
2: there's lots of ways in which the church doesn't function as a virtue ethic but yeah yeah i think that's yeah but historically it makes sense it's
1: classified as a virtue ethic Yeah. yeah Yeah, let's do it. So, good old... So this next guy, Immanuel Kant, whose name I misspelled in my notes. There we go. Um, Immanuel Kant. Uh, Some people may have heard of this person. Um, I'm sure a lot of people also haven't. But he was a German philosopher in the 18th century, like late 18th century. Um, So, where... One of the So one of the critiques of Aristotle is his idea of human nature. Um, due to like the age of reason and then like the age of um, Darwinism. We, a lot of people reject Aristotle's idea of human nature in that um, human has like an essential nature or a way they ought to be. I think a lot of people just see human nature as it is you know similar like that's just the way we are so that's kind of how we're gonna base a lot of our ethics is like on the way human nature is Um, and so McIntyre is saying that so Immanuel Kant was a major figure of the Enlightenment period and what the Enlightenment period did was it it slashed that like that like purpose that telos that teleological nature of human nature And now we just kind of are observing, you know, it's very scientific. We're just observing the way things are and then making our interpretations based on that. So, like, we're observing human as it is. um, And then we're trying to create a whole system of, like, of ethics, you could say, based on that. And... And I think Kant's no different in that he's 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 not looking at like how like what humans ought to be, but like what we ought to do, like what what is it that we're supposed to treat each other, um, given our current state as we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think does that does that sound right to you, Josh? Yeah, basically. Yeah, because like
2: i mean Kant's super comp. as you were saying yeah Kant's super super complicated he's so
1: complex um like again you could spend a lifetime just studying Kant um and not get everything figured out so so like so if you change that if you lose that teleological nature that teleological nature of human nature what are you left with um like you just have humans as we are so are we going to is there like what what do we do like do we so and i think a natural idea is that given how we are and within our constraints like there has to be some sort of set of rules and laws that determine like here's how we ought to act um um and i guess i should mention too we talked about deontology last episode and i even brought mention emmanuel kant um all of deontology all of deontological ethics in some way owe their Origins to Immanuel Kant. Um,
0: And to clarify, these are like duty or obligation. Duty based. That are universal.
1: Yeah, this idea of like law. And I remember I said in the last episode that I think our whole, like a lot of our political and legal system in America is basically a deontological ethic. um, In that, like, there's a set of laws, and out of duty, you're required to follow these laws. um, And if you don't, like, on, you're you're automatically, like, you've violated the law. So the, the consequence, you know, then we have the consequences. It doesn't matter, like, the context so much. Just that there's this set law by the word. You violated it.
0: It's more of a black done. and white.
1: Yeah. It, the ontological can be a lot more black and white. So, so I think, so for Kant, with that framework, he was trying to figure out, like, what, how do we determine what these moral laws are? And... Um, if you want to understand Kant's moral theory, you gotta un- you just, like, research the categorical imperative. Because um, for him, so you have, you know, that's two parts. You have the imperative, which is, if you don't know what an imperative is, it's a directive to act a certain way. So, like, when I say, go do the dishes, that's an imperative statement. Um, it's not true or false. It's just a command, like, go do that. And whether you do it or not doesn't change the fact that I asked you to or commanded you to. Um, and it's categorical if you're acting in the out of duty or, like, it's the right thing. You're doing it, the action, because it's the right thing to do and offer some ulterior motive. So, like, I find someone's wallet with a bunch of cash, um, and I feel like, oh, I should go try and return this to the person. So am I returning it because I'm doing it out of duty or because I just want a reward? It's like, oh, I can get a reward. It wouldn't be right to keep it, but I can go get a reward or something. Um, that's, like, one example. Yeah. So...
0: So the categorical imperative is more of a method or a model mm-hmm. to decide whether or not something is a command or an,
1: an, yeah, ethic, like, an or ethical a true, moral code. Yeah. Or truly right. Or yeah. truly right. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's a great. That's
1: yeah. Great. And so, and there's other forms of um, like deontology that, um, yeah, that like have other ways of figuring out what the moral law is. So like, Tradition, like traditionally in America and Christianity, it's the Bible. Like the Bible has all the imperatives we need to live the, to live by or good actions, to perform the good actions, the right actions, to follow that moral law. It's all in the Bible. Um, we see that a lot in our context, us three, particularly. <laughs> um, but for Kant, it's he's trying to. For Kant, it's um, through reason is the primary mode um it's like if we can like reason that because um, like, the the big work for Kant is the critique of pure reason the critique of practical reason where that like like reason is how we determine moral is like if we can reason that like this should apply to everyone um in all cases like then it's it's a categorical imperative is what it is whereas um, if you can't do that, then maybe it's a hypothetical imperative. And for him, that's like doing something because you gain something back by doing the action. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's, to me that's making sense. And then the other aspect is uh, autonomy. Things have to be done freely. You can't be like coerced to do something for it to be like truly moral or to follow moral law. So like autonomy is very fundamental to his idea. So you have autonomy and you have the rules or the moral law. Um, so you choose freely to follow it and then you apply it to a particular case of that so like that's step one is like you have to be free to do it and then there's moral law and you do it out of the sake of the moral law and then you apply that that would be Kant's like supremely oversimplified moral theory Um, and I think this is super prevalent in a lot of our culture and like this I can see this fragment like this is a big fragment to me in our moral reality today um yeah any thoughts or (coughs) questions
2: yeah uh, do you have a couple of examples where you
1: see it like super prevalent um i mean i do in the legal system sure i kind of see it that way um i really i do see it in like a lot of a lot of uh, church culture because it's like there's this div- like this moral law we're yeah. supposed to follow, yeah. um, and that's like, that's it, like, yeah. Yeah, uh. yeah.
0: That goes into what we were talking about before we started recording with the bounded set of rules that we build um, upon as these yeah. commands or directives that all Christians or believers in all contexts across all time are to follow these universal commands. And we have fossilized (laughs) what these are and um, are building our our faith on them. And so if one needs to be remolded or shaped, it almost crumbles um, your faith. Uh So there are some qualities of this thought that are good. But there's also some critiques, I suppose, as well as you were saying before
1: yeah well and my biggest problem with this is i mean it's really easy for me to to challenge this deontological way of thinking because of the context i live in right now because especially being a part of like this thought of like objective truth and like this very black and white thinking of like this is the way things are this is the way things that should like we should be doing um it's so easy for me to critique and one of them for me is like this is so deep like it depersonalizes Mm. ethics this view um that's my biggest issue is like rather than like take an individual and put them in the context there's just it's just like um just a good example so like speeding i think again we use this we use this last time but i'm gonna use it again like um a person is speeding and they're breaking the law yeah so but why are they speeding oh, they were trying to get to the hospital. And I know this isn't the perfect one because, like, a lot of times they'll let that go. But just for the sake of the the idea, like, they're trying to get to the hospital because their wife is in labor. And so they're speeding really fast and running red lights. So, like, they're breaking all these laws. Um, So by the letter of the law, they broke the laws that are in place, even though, like, they had a good reason to... Mm-hmm but they still broke those laws and so um yeah but like in a deontological view like that doesn't matter you broke the like you broke those laws and like if we've determined that these are categorical imperatives that these apply to everyone and any time in any place um tough yeah so and that that might be a little unfair to Kant thinking um Especially like then when you bring it down to like practical ethics, like determining what is a categorical imperative is very complicated. Yeah. Um, and I th- but I think that also kind of brings about the issue of like his view of like reason does it, be, um, but like people reason differently. Like reason is because yeah. like think about Kant. Kant is thinking from a very Western col- like col- colonial mindset. Like mm-hmm. because he the re because for him reason is very. Eth- ethnocentric, very white, very European, because the reason of the Native Americans or the Native Africans is not yeah. good to him. In fact, I think when I took a class, we were talking about Kant, and it was like, yeah, Kant was a racist, because, you know, he was an 18th century European. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm just noticing what both
2: of what I was hearing from both of you, noticing how I felt about it, it was super interesting, because I consider myself a virtue ethics, like a follower of virtue ethics. Mm-hmm. And still and I'm not a huge fan of Kant's yeah moral philosophy and still, when you said some of the things, I felt myself go, OK, but now are we getting into like relativism and like, is there objective truth? Like even though I, I know like I can feel maybe this is like an argument for Aristotle. I can feel the habits and the, um, the arguments around um, Uh, around what kind of a Kantian deontological ethic has done to me, right? Like this is the, the, in some ways, the air we breathe. Yeah. Um, So, but it does make me wonder then, um, or, or I get excited about thinking through, okay, how is it not relativistic to abandon Kant? Yeah. Like, that just feels like the modern post-enlightenment world yeah. is like super influenced, as you're saying, super influenced. So that if we say, yeah, but people might reason differently or make a different decision and that might be okay. Um, in the same situation, different people would make a different uh, decision. Um, like, it'll be fun to think through, okay, how is that not relativism?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Where anybody can just do whatever they want.
0: Recognizing, though, that there are, I mean, there still are commands of righteousness, right? right? That you think of the Ten Commandments and not to let go of there are God's truth. It's more becomes an issue for me when things that are a little more gray and there isn't a pattern of discernment in today's context where people are going around as the moral police. Yeah and be coming across as judgmental and pharisaical versus Christ followers who have open arms and invitational yeah. to the kingdom and seem like they're sending a message of otherness. You're othered when in reality the story and message of the Bible is oneness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it can hinder, and, you know, even my sister said, man, you know, early on the Christian's, that she had experienced were very judgmental, and what does mm-hmm. that do? That pushes her away when, in reality, she's she wants to draw near. Yeah. And how we can unintentionally be false witness of the actual yeah. message that's invitational towards oneness yeah. when we have this ethical, morality, Pharisaical mindset that is wall um, building.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I think and just think about it now like i totally i definitely understand what the enlightenment thinkers were trying to do um because relativism can be dangerous like totally like or um subjectivity can be like very dangerous thinking um and just kind of like now also thinking about like the virtue ethics and aristotle's thinking and then thinking about kant here it's like there is value in trying to determine like these universal goods. Mm. I just think putting in the context of law is a different Mm. story. And again, like let's go back into the context of Kant. Like this is during, this is like right in the heart of things like the French revolution, the American who really influenced um, the way we live today in terms of like ideas of law and stuff. And so I think Kant is just trying to take, and a lot of these enlightenment thinkers in general are just like trying to figure out how do we then like, we found this idea of law of like, a statutory law and like, how do we make ethics fit into that? Yeah. So I think there's value in determining universal goods or what I maybe like, or so I would call virtues. <laughs> like when you do these things, like they're always good. Um, or they always like lead towards like human flourishing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to like try and make it into like these laws like this is what we have to do yeah. it just it can it goes a wire and one thing that Kant i know that Kant really emphasizes that i actually really appreciated was this idea of intent like are you are you doing something out of duty are you doing something because you have something to gain mm-hmm. like i really appreciate that because it really makes me think like why am i doing you know mm-hmm. why am i doing what i'm doing you know if i go do something charitable to someone like do, am i just trying to get in their favor in their favor. Yeah. Am I like or am I just doing it because like that person needs help. I'm going to help them yeah. even though like they have nothing to give me.
2: So examining your own motives has been a yeah. helpful.
1: I think that's that, that's, that's a really helpful I think point Kant makes and like that idea of autonomy um really helpful. But like yeah, the whole structure like around this like idea of law and duty can get really problematic. Um, And our next guy basically takes a big sledgehammer and just blows through that. (laughs) Days. he's my another uh, he was another german about mm, little under 100 years he was like late 19th century early 20th century oh man so i will admit like i still have a hard time wrapping my head around this as i just started reading some like his genealogy of morals and dude this guy is wild so wild like we were talking about it before recording which was helpful but man this guy is just like so first of all he's like look, he just kind of looks at the history and like how where the idea of good came from and he says like what you had in the past where these like um, aristocrats or these nobles these like kings these people in power were basically executing their will and like that was deemed and like you could he was like seeing that as like the origin of good came from that because what they willed is good because they're the ones holding the power and then he talks about and people claim this comes from, like, the anti-Semitism of Germany. And maybe it is coming from Nietzsche. But he legit is like, and then the Jews came. He's like, the Jews came with this idea of, like, freedom from slavery and stuff. And then they they came and out of vengeance and, like, resentment wanted to bring down those powers who were, like, determining good. So now, like, we're bringing power or Sorry. so now in like instead of just exercising one's free will on others like we have people coming and tearing down destroying their right to free like their free will and um out of vengeance and and yeah it's and i'm reading this i'm like whoa this dude is like literally just saying that like um people in power are the good people that's what it sounds like he's saying like those that are oppri- like you can even say like those that are oppressing are the good people um that's not a fair line but that's kind of the feeling i get just from his writing it's Um, not
2: unfair exactly
1: (laughs) yeah yeah he's the
2: jews and jesus like and operating out of pity like those are all things he's like yeah terrible those ruined morality yeah for nietzsche
1: yeah totally um it's crazy yeah so like so there's that and then so he calls so he calls that like he has this idea called master slave morality. So like the master or um, they see still things as good and bad, and it's based on what they will and those with the they have the power to then will the good, um, or what they deem as good, and that's the way it should be. it sounds like in his mind. Um, and then you have the slave morality thinking where like they have bad happening to them, so they want to then bring down. The power that's doing that to them and they call them evil and he argues that it's coming out of resentment and out of um, vengeance and um, it's like it's, it's a poison he calls it a poison because it's making humanity as a whole less good in one sense because you're restricting people's will to power mm-hmm. and if you want to understand Nietzsche Nietzsche like his doctrine of the will to power is what you have to understand and that's what he's functioning that's the central idea functioning out of here is that um that like humans have the right like, have freedom to exercise their own will on others mm-hmm. and that's good uh, because again let's put Nietzsche in his historical context this is in the height of like scientists like scientific um, reasoning and Darwinism so understanding human nature as just is so he's kind of just seeing that in a Kind of honestly sometimes i li- i listen I read Nietzsche and I'm like he's actually going the right direction with based on what his view of the world is is that like if we're just animals and we're um you know these autonomous f- beings, like why shouldn't we have the right to exercise our own free will over others and like and then those with the power are gonna have the most ability to exercise that free will yeah. so um, so Kant's all talking about like, yeah, free will is great. And from that free will we ought, like comes morality. Uh, Kant says autonomous and moral are mutually exclusive. Nietzsche says that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Nietzsche says that. Um, yeah. Autonomous and moral are mutually exclusive. So he's just completely contradicting yeah. uh, Immanuel Kant. If and, you're
2: free and you have a will to power, then you're autonomous and you can exercise yeah. that. Don't worry about morality. Yeah. Just go do what it you want. It doesn't matter.
1: About. And if there's no and if there's no like essential human nature there's just human nature as it is why 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 be good and there's no
2: purpose or tell us yeah exactly like there's there's why not trying to make us in yeah
1: hey everybody so that the recording cut out at the last part that we were just listening to so unfortunately we lost some of the discussion that we were having um until i noticed that it stopped so i'm here to go ahead and close this out episode out with just I'm gonna try and sum up some more of Nietzsche um and some of his some of his views that we were talking about but so again you know oversimplification so bear with me here um yeah so the idea of the will to power is very central to Nietzsche's uh moral or just kind of to a, like a lot of his sort of um philosophies in that humans have free will and those with the power have the right to you know dominate others like that's kind of just how it works right and I mean, when mean we look in the animal kingdom that's kind of how it works and I think that's that's probably at the heart of a lot of the moral discussion that um, we are talking about right now is it's this idea of human nature um, the idea that human I'm seeing I'm seeing two different views at the heart of it. You have human as is and all that's all it is and human as it is but there's a potential or an essential nature that it can achieve or that it's supposed to achieve whatever language you want to put around it. And I think what Nietzsche's doing is he's just being honest, which the other I and McIntyre talks about this but that the enlightenment thinkers they were trying to save something that Nietzsche saw as completely obsolete in this new world of, you know, post enlightenment reality. And that's the idea of human nature. Because if I had to sum up the major difference with post enlightenment and maybe like pre, like post modern, that's not good. So like post enlightenment and like pre enlightenment it's this idea of like what we think humans are and i think post enlightenment and i think it's very clear in our age of science and reason that we kind of view ourselves as just another animal and we view nature as this like that is and all it is and all it ever will be um now like some religions don't necessarily adhere to that but they in a way like as a culture the western society we kind of adopt that um, and McIntyre puts it really well how, uh, er, you know, Aristotle and thinkers up through the Middle e- um, medieval ages didn't hold that view. They had this view, this like teleological view, and we talked about that a little bit, um, this teleological view. And then with the Enlightenment, that teleological view was kind of no longer accepted. Um, and a lot of people, that's kind of the main critique of Aristotle is his view of human nature is pretty rejected today by a lot of people um but what so and then the this enlightenment era of moral philosophy came about where like Immanuel Kant and such um, around this time David Hume they had to sort of recreate a whole new structure or system of morality and a lot of it just became you know like laws and duty based law based and duty based or utility based Um, but Nietzsche just kind of says, no, like if all we are, what we are, then just as human nature is what it is. Um, and this is the natural order of things, then he, he's kind of, he's got a really good point. That's, that's kind of how I view it. And so from that, the, 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 the question becomes like, what is human? What are we like essentially? Um, so that seems to be the big question for me moving forward with this podcast um, or the series within the podcast. Yeah. And it's, it's really weird. And like just thinking about it, um, it's not that Nietzsche is giving like a positive account for morality. He's just like trying, he's really doing a good job at showing how the enlightenment way of thinking this idea of reason and, um, this non-theological nature of human like it just by default there is no morality and that's almost what it feels like to us that's what it feels like Nietzsche's saying this idea of like good and evil is just totally irrelevant or not irrelevant maybe arbitrary um, because those that aren't with the power want the power um, and he just kind of defines human nature as this power struggle and the powerful are the ones that make the decisions and that's just the way that's just the good that's good because that's the natural way um that's how i'm interpreting nietzsche at least i don't think he ever says like it's the natural order of things and i've heard people say that about how um we ought to be functioning in the like the natural order or like the divine natural order divine order of things and um it really comes to this more you could say post this modern slash post enlightenment way of thinking about humans in the world. So, and I, yeah, I think he's just being honest. And when we talk about um, when Jen, Josh and I were talking, we were just talking like how it really is feels like it comes down to it's either Nietzsche or for us, Jesus um, for McIntyre, he talks about Aristotle um, and a more like modern view of Aristotelianism versus Nietzsche and his like uh Nietzschean thinking so yeah I I think Nietzsche is really onto something um I don't think he's right and I think as humans there's and I've heard people describe Nietzsche as just a monster like he's just a monster and his ending the, the latter part of his life is very interesting like he he watched a horse getting whipped and he just completely, like, had a mental breakdown and, like, had pity for the horse and said, stop it. And then, like, I guess – I think I remember right. He, like, never was speaking anymore. Like, he just never said anything again. He just, like, went to this – he had this huge mental health breakdown. Um, Just so fascinating considering the what he – kind of what he espoused as a philosophy. So – but, yeah, like, this view of, you know, might is right is – it, as like an oversimplified way of putting it just doesn't sit right with us. Cause it, it feels like there's an intuitive sense of morality within us as humans. Um, but there is that good question of like, is that just artificial or what? Because there also sometimes feels like there's an intuitive sense of like that animal nature of we just want to overpower others. So, and then the question comes to be like, is that, it's just is that just natural and we have to accept that or is it natural in one sense but is also natural to move from that into this moral way of thinking um however you want to call it so yeah so that that's the beauty that's the beauty of Nietzsche um, is that he he just shatters the the modern moral sort of way of thinking and Makes us really question some things and maybe have to go back and reevaluate something like Aristotle and virtue ethics and figure, you know, just figure something out. Um, so yeah, uh, without going too long here, I don't really like just monologuing, it's so much better to have a a dialogue with others. Like, um, that's why John, Jess, Jen, Josh, and I, uh, choose to do this together rather than one person monologuing so much. Um, so yeah uh just keep that in mind as we go forward this idea of human nature and that's where we're moving into next and i look forward to it because um, i think it's it's a very crucial question and one i never thought of until reading after virtue and reading about nietzsche and reading kant reading kant and reading nietzsche yeah so that will be it for this episode we will catch you in the next one um thank you so much for listening and I hope you guys are enjoying it. All right, see ya.